in my mind, it takes a village came from a black woman because it truly is that. Like when I had my quinceanera, like all my tias and my tios came together. Like you pay for this part of the dress, you pay for the cake, you pay for the haul, you get the napkins. Like everything that I've ever done and ever achieved came through community. So if I have an abundance, I feel it's my duty to share it. And I still feel that way, right? There's just nothing in me that feels okay with me having and my family does not. I would never be okay with that. Hello, hello, financial feminist. Welcome back to the show. If you're an oldie but a goodie, welcome back. If you're new, hi, my name is Tori. I'm a money expert and New York Times bestselling author, a multimillionaire, and I fight the patriarchy by making you rich. And on this show, we talk about the ways that money affects women differently, but also how to get more of it, save more of it, and be a more mindful spender in order to fight the patriarchy by getting rich. Today's guest, such a fun interview, such a fun episode. We are so pumped to have X on the show. Hailing from South Central slash Inglewood, California, X is an actor, writer, producer, comedian, and taco expert. Landing in New York City in 2013 with just $80 in a suitcase, X has survived over 24 moves to now become an Emmy-nominated writer for The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. X is passionate about representation and entertainment, and Lord, does she back that up, and is adamant about presenting solutions for her community. X is the creator and host of Who Made the Potato Salad, a comedy show slash party made in 24 hours that only stars Black people and people of color. You can catch X in the second season of Yearly Departed and the hit NBC sitcom American Auto. You can also catch her, and she couldn't say it at the time because when we recorded this, we were still on strike. But please go watch her and please don't destroy the treasure of Foggy Mountain now out on Peacock. It is the SNL guys over at Please Don't Destroy, their first feature film, and she's in it. Go watch it on Peacock. I can say that now that the strike's over. Okay. This is such a great overall conversation about so many topics like the influence of our first money memories, navigating cultural belief systems around money, setting financial boundaries, representation of Black and POC people in media, systemic oppression, and the value of learning as you go, even when things aren't working out the way you hoped. One of the things that is really exciting about X's journey as well is that she now hosts her own money show called The Dough. And so we talked about her coming into this space as a non-personal finance expert, what she's learned in her own personal finance journey, but also what she's hoping to teach others. Truly one of the most fun episodes. Just It's just a good time and lots of different learnings. We always struggle with how we're going to title these kind of episodes because there's so many different things that are so valuable and you can't really just sum them up in one like six word title. So I just hope you enjoy it. All right, let's get into it. But first, a word from our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. One of the must-to-dos at the beginning of starting a business is getting a website because how can people find you? How can people find your products or your services if you don't have a website? This was me in 2016. I was wondering where to turn. I'm not a coder. What do I do? And I turned to Squarespace. I love Squarespace's tools like their email campaigns for you to be able to drive sales and engage your audience, analytics to see where people are coming from and what they're buying, and blogging tools to be able to share stories and photos and videos and updates. I have used Squarespace, like I said, since 2016, and they've been a huge impact in the business of her first 100K and impacting you all in giving you financial advice. And frankly, I couldn't have run my business without them. You don't have to know anything about how to code in order to build a beautiful website. Trust me, I don't. And Squarespace makes it super easy and very painless. 
Head on over to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash ffpod to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We are supported by State Farm. If you have insurance for your home, your health, and your car, why don't you have insurance for your small business? So many small business owners I know think they don't need or don't even know about small business insurance. Protecting a source of revenue is one thing, but also I know for me, my business feels like my baby and I want to make sure all of my hard work and my team members are protected. State Farm agents are all small business owners too, so they know how to help small business owners choose personalized policies that fit their budgets. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Wait, are we recording? We are. Oh, I thought you said we were going to talk and then get into it. So I thought you were like, we were talking, prepping or practicing. I was like, okay. So now I was like, wait, are we? This is the podcast. Okay. It is the podcast. Um, You would think that I've hosted one of these things. No, you're great. Yes. I I apologize if I didn't uh, uh, warn you properly. No, I think I'm an idiot. I think you said it (laughs) and I just thought there was going to be, I'm used to talking to comedians and there's so much banter and bits before. So I was like, oh, we're just like talking and like shooting the shit. But like you're a true professional. So okay. Well, it's one of those okay. things. No, I'm like happy to shoot the shit with you, but I don't think you knew that we were shooting the shit. And so I was like, okay. No, I thought like I was like, Let's I was like, people this. are still putting in plugs. She's <laughs> there's they're still turning on lights. They we're waiting for a record. But we're recording. Okay, great. Okay, so we're in the podcast. The podcast has started. Yes. The podcast has started. Welcome. We're so yeah. excited to have you. Yes, I'm welcome. I'm welcomed. Yes. <laughs> we Love asking people. First money, uh-huh. money. What is the first time you remember thinking about money? Uh, I, it's not really anything exciting. Um, I would say it was ties for church. Like you pay 10%. I'm born and raised in church. So that was the thing. Like always asking my mom every Sunday, I need a dollar for offering. Like, and I mm. like, I wanted to touch it. I wanted like a cash dollar. I didn't want like change. For some reason for me, it felt like less than. It's like, no, I want to put mm. a dollar in the offering plate. When I would walk around for offering, I'd be so excited for my dollar. I I realized when I got to that level, when I was like in my early 20s and now like the younger kids, the youth were just like, I don't have a dollar, a dollar for offering. So I would just like give them their dollar. So it's funny Mm -hmm. how like you recognize like as you're getting older, like, wow, I'm at that age now where the kids are asking me for a dollar. So yeah, Yeah. I would say that's my first money memory. I remember for me, because I grew up Catholic, it was always like, Mm -hmm. I wanted to put the money in the thing. Like my parents' money even, they would hand me, they would always write a check and it would go in the envelope. And then I wanted to be the person to put it in the basket. Yeah, there was such a big Mm -hmm. thing that came with that. It was like, yes, I'm doing it. Like there was such a status (laughs) in our little children's minds about like putting the money in the collection plate for sure. Yeah. I love asking that question. We talk about it in my book because it's one of the things that you can start drawing conclusions from about like how you were raised around money. So Mm -hmm. do you feel like that focus on tithing or community has been reflective in your own money journey now? 
Oh my God, yes. For yeah. better and for worse. I think I've depended on my community to help me like as I was like hustling and broke as fuck in New York. And then also I would say for the worse in the sense that I had to implement a business manager because I was paying too many people's bills and people that were able-bodied and able to do it on their own and just... We're looking to me to do that. And I have a lot of substance substance abuse in my family. So in my little brain, um, when I first started making money, I was like, okay, well, maybe this person wouldn't use this drug or be addicted to this liquor if they had money. And it, my business manager is like, no, you actually are giving them more money to do those things because now <laughs> they're like, I don't have to pay rent. Fuck, I can drink all day, you know? You're an enabler and you didn't mean to. <laughs> yes, no. Yeah. I was just like, I just don't want my auntie on that shit, you know? And so, yeah, community is definitely my base reality of like how I learned money. And learned yeah. about money because I learned about it within the church, which is a huge part of my foundation and is built on being communal and fellowship and dwelling together in brotherhood and sisterhood. So, yeah. Yeah. And you kind of alluded to this already. Do you feel like that held you back from protecting your own money? Because one of the things I see, you know, I work largely with women. And if you're a member of a minority group, I think one of the things that happens is you feel like I need to take care of the community around me. I need to take care of the family Absolutely. around me, my people. I need to make sure everybody's good. And then if there's anything left over, then I'll take care of myself. Absolutely. But of course, what ends up happening there is that you are so deprived. You are not taking care of yourself that you can't. I mean, it's the classic you can't pour from an empty cup, but it seems that that is often how we end up doing it is we put everybody's needs before our own mm -hmm. and then we're kind of fucked. Yeah. No, I definitely did that. I definitely fell victim to that in my ignorance. And you just, just coming from a community like being black and Mexican and coming from black and brown neighborhood, you know, it's like, we don't have shit. Okay. And it's systemically set up that way. So the reason I truly believe, I don't know where this came from, but in my mind, it takes a village came from a black woman because it truly is that like when I had my quinceanera, like all my tias and my tios came together, like you pay for this part of the dress, you pay for the cake, you pay for the haul, you get the napkins, like everything that I've ever done and ever achieved came through community. Like my church came through for me for prom, like you do her makeup, you get her nails done. Everyone comes together. So if I have an abundance, I feel it's my duty to share it. And I still feel that way. But now that I have a business manager and I have more knowledge about money, I know that there's a specific way in which to delegate it. There's a way to do that. There's boundaries around right. it. Right. And there's just nothing in me that feels okay with me having and my family does not. I do that is there's just I would never be okay with that. And I feel like the ones who are willing to work with me and work with me in a way that's efficient, you know, because some of my family members, unfortunately, I can't work with them in a professional sense, in a business sense, because of different ways in which they move through the world and just ways that are just not aligned with me. And I love them, but we just can't work that way, you know, but the ones who can, I want to bring them up as much as I can, of course. Right. It becomes that responsibility of I have done something and I'm going to pull the rest of you up with me. Yeah. And the ones who I'm going to help those who are helping themselves, you know, I'm going to help the ones totally. who are grinding, who are hustling, who are hungry, who want to be a part of the entertainment industry. My moms, my aunts, like if you think for one goddamn second that if I host the Oscars, my mom's not going to be a writer. You're out of your fucking mind. You know, yeah. everybody needs to eat, <laughs> you know, like I want everybody to eat for sure. Totally. Well, and 
One of the things that was just so interesting about your story that I would love for you to talk about is Mm -hmm. that you moved to New York with 80 bucks and then a job just ended up ghosting you as soon as you arrived. But you made it work and you built a career there. Talk to me about those first several years of building a career and trying to navigate life. Well, 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 there's something. Well, that's not what happened. Oh, talk to me. I went to New York on vacation. I went to New York on vacation and a job fell through. I went there to work fashion week. Ended up being so enthralled by the city, fell in love again because I went to New York at 18 to audition for Alvin Ailey because I was a dancer first and I didn't get in, but I fell in love with the city, but I just knew I was not ready for New York at Mm. 18. So when I went back at 26, the job fell through, but I still hustled my ass off and I like was able to dress the models. I couldn't do makeup for the models. And it was during that whole experience of working fashion week that I was like, okay, I have to stay in New York. And when I decided to stay in New York, so there was no move to New York. There was no bags packed. There wasn't a plan. There wasn't a send off. There wasn't like X is moving. Let's have a going away party. No, I went there on vacation, decided to stay. And when I decided to stay, all I had was $80. What What was that like? Talk to me about that experience. Yeah. So the thing was, everybody I talked to was broke, Tori. Like everyone was broke. Everybody was like, I came here with $10,000 and then I had none in three months. People was like, I had $30,000. People were like, I came here with 15. People said I had a thousand. Like everybody was just like, I'm broke. I was meeting other people who were dressing the models alongside of me and they were fucking professors at NYU and they also bartend at night. They're like, this is how you fucking do New York. Like it's fucking expensive and this is what it is. So I was like, oh, everybody's broke. Me too. Great. Okay. So if y'all doing it, why the fuck can I do it? You know, but I'm a hustler and I'm a master networker and connector. There's not many things that I do really well, but that's one of the few things that I'm like, I could, I can do that in my sleep. You know, I do it without even thinking. I don't even notice that I'm doing it and it's just in me to do it. And so I stayed at a friend's house. So I had a few connects there. And once that situation no longer worked out because his mom just was being fucking weird about shit. And I was just like, okay, I got to go. I heard about subletting. And then I was like, what the fuck is that? So it was the original Airbnb. And so, you know, living in LA and predominantly living in homes, I was like, what the fuck you mean? They don't know me and they'll let me rent a room. I could be a murderer. And they were like, everybody does this in New York. So like, if you're a murderer, then they'll know. And they say, please stop murdering people. And can you have your rent paid on the first? You know, like, that's what they'll do. Like, if you're a murderer. And I was just kind of like, okay, but everybody's breakdown on Craigslist story was like, you know, uh, first, last security. What's your social security? What's your job? Making, you know, five to six figures a year. And I was like, to rent a room? This is the criteria? What the fuck is this? So then I was like, you know what? I need somebody's breakdown that talk is talking to me. They need, they need something. And I need something. They need somebody in there to pay rent and I need a place to stay. So I found one and somebody was like, listen, that was the first word on the Craigslist uh, ad. <laughs> listen. Okay. Then she was like, she was like, don't be eating my food. You know, she was like, if it's yellow, let it mellow. If it's brown, flush it down. You know, don't, don't be coming up in here be loud. And I said, okay, this is IT. Okay. Right, right, right. You need something. I need something. So, you know, I went over there to her. And when I went over there, that's when I knew I was not in Kansas anymore because, I, mind you, I went there to work Fashion Week, September 2013, okay? So they have what's called seasons in New York. And I'm from Los Angeles, so I don't know what that means. So it started to rain profusely. I had a very cheap suitcase, and it mm-hmm. uh, busted. 
at no. Penn Station in the rain. And everyone had an attitude with me. Okay. Not Toy. Penn Station. My no. suitcase oh. broke in the rain. And you have an attitude. I when when I saw police officers walk over my fucking clothes in the rain, like, ugh, the fuck is it? I was like, everyone is evil. <laughs> I was like, they're so mean here. I was like, oh, I don't I was like, I am yeah. not in Kansas anymore. So when I got to the lady's home, I gave her my password. I either gave her my password or my ID. I gave her one of my forms of identification. And I grew up in a family of hustlers, of dope dealers. And one thing they always said is be honest. Never lie. Don't ever, ever lie. People can always fuck with someone who's honest, right? So I told her, I was like, hey, I don't have a job. I think my mama sent me like an extra $100. So I had like $180, maybe $200 to give her. And I said, hey, this is all I have. I don't have a job. If I don't get a job by Friday, you can kick me out. You can keep the money. And you have my identification. So you got me. And she was like, okay. And I got a job that Thursday. I was making $8 an hour at this place called Unique, which is now shut down. It was on J Street and Fulton in downtown Brooklyn. And so that's what started, like how I first started making money. And I was in Jersey City. I wasn't even in the city yet. So I was paying for Jersey Transit and then paying for New York Transit. And then I had a, uh, at this time, I had came back to acting. I had quit for the third time and finally came back to it again. But I had went to a film school and I had started working with cameras and stuff. So I said, I need to do anything within production. I need to get on a fucking set. So I started interning at RECSE Camera Rental House, which was in Secaucus, New Jersey. But to pay for Jersey Transit, I would not be able to pay for New York Transit to get into the city and make actual money. So what I ended up having to do was, Tori, I had to walk an hour to Secaucus, an hour back in the fucking snow so that I can have my internship and I can keep my little dollar twenty-five and pay the toll to get into Brooklyn. And then I made friends and they lived in Brooklyn. So therefore, when I was working at Unique on the weekends, Friday to Sunday, I would stay in Brooklyn. And then it was just like one stop away or if I needed to, if I could hustle, I could walk 45 minutes. That was closer than Jersey City. And then shout out to my homegirl, Malia, because what we would do is that I would sleep on the actual wooden floor in the wintertime in her room and we would alternate the space heater every three hours Holy so that we had heat. When you said you were a hustler, I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then you're like, masterclass. Here you go. No, bitch. No. Granola bar. They were giving me granola bars and tuna. God bless mm-hmm. those women. Fumi Titi, uh, who's now married, beautiful doctor, and is having a child now. Those women, they held me down for a minute, like for sure. But I was determined because I was a hustler. I was like, I'm giving Unique two months. And I was fostering relationships, talking to people. Because in a thrift store, it's not just lower status or lower paid people. Like there were like costume designers. There were like different people that worked in fashion all coming in there grabbing pieces because Unique is shut down, but Unique was a true thrift store and they did not know the gyms they had. Like there was like a Chanel ski suit for like 60 bucks. Like it was like good, good shit. Like really, really good stuff. It was like more so vintage rather than thrift. Like it was a lot of vintage quality finds. So I just kept fostering relationships with people and finally got out and got to Rebar where I started making a cute coin. They're working at a, it was like a restaurant slash bar. And it was the first, it, it was before Alamo Draft House. It was the first movie theater in New York City that was licensed to sell liquor. So it was a movie theater, wedding venue, bar, restaurant. Shit. Fucking impressive. Thank <laughs> God. 
No, yeah, yeah, I was a hustler. I I I realize that it's crazy now. Somebody told me that they did this. I'm like, okay, <laughs> she's a little Looney Tune. But for me, I was like, when yeah. you're in the thick of it, and because I'm a believer and I knew what God told me to do, you know, I had this life altering experience when I went to go see mm-hmm. Motown the musical, which encouraged mm-hmm. me to stay. And the director, I was talking to him on stage, and he was like, "You have a responsibility to live your dream, and you have to do it now." So to tell me I had to be accountable, and I had, and he had such a sense of urgency, I was like, "Oh no, fuck that! I'm doing it now." And I was 26. The man I thought I was going to marry, I broke up with him two years prior and I had no kids and I've always kept my overhead low. I've never been someone that wanted to live above my means or even when I had jobs, when I worked at TSA and I was making great money, I was like, well, if I get bigger, if I get a nicer car, if I get an apartment, I have to keep fucking working at TSA. This is not my life. So I've never done that. I never wanted that. I always liked Lived beneath my means, had a cute little bucket, you know, take it to my Theo Poncho, have him hook up the fucking engine and keep it moving, you know? So that was that. That was it. I, I hustled my ass off. <laughs> we have to take a <laughs> For quick a very long tangent time. with TSA. Weirdest thing you've ever seen in somebody's bag. Okay. <laughs> Wait, what's the tangent, Tori? The TSA tangent. Give it to me. Weirdest thing. Like you're talking TSA, airport TSA. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, of course. Yeah, at LAX, girl. Okay, but I I just gotta know weirdest thing you've ever seen in somebody's bag. Okay, uh, I you know I don't want to sex shame. Uh huh. Okay. Uh huh. Oh. Uh huh. Um, but there was a specific flight <laughs> at Southwest that was going to Vegas, and oh. it was oftentimes, as my grandma would say, women of the night. Sure. And the way that they were dressed, let me know that. And they would have the most obscene sizes of dildos <laughs> and lube. And a part of me was like, it's not like just taking a dildo from someone or lube. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like taking paint from a painter. This is what they <laughs> use for their job. Okay. It's oil paint you can't do that. Michelangelo. It's <laughs> absolutely, it's the set. Andy Warhol and these women, yes. same fucking level. Yes. And what they both do is art. Yes. Okay. Yes. So I I was like, okay, you know, a part of me. And and then I knew that they were not in the safest of situations. Yeah. I, these were not women that had autonomy over their own bodies. Yep. They were like, daddy's going to be mad. They were referring to daddy. I knew they were referring. I come up. I, I grew up with pimps in my family, so I knew exactly oh, what they were talking about. So I said... I don't want any issues for you. So I said, I said, let me just test it for explosives. <laughs> and girl, just don't, don't use it's it. It's explosive, just a different kind, you know? A 100% mm-hmm. that, that they get paid to do. Mm-hmm. So I would say that was the most like, whoa, whew, okay, what do I do here? Yeah, for, that was, that was probably the most wildest thing I've seen. I just had to ask. I was like, I imagine you've seen some yeah. shit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Miss Tori. And I love it's not a dildo. It's like the most obscene sized dildo of your entire life. No, it's existence. really big. It was like a baseball bat with balls. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was bad. Oh, swing batter better. Okay, other questions. Mm-hmm. You host a okay. show called Who Made the Potato Salad? And you've talked about creating yes, it's my it. baby. Yeah, you didn't yeah. want to put your fate into someone else's hands. That's what you've said in creating it. So, how mm-hmm. is that? decision changed your career trajectory. And I've heard this from a lot of women, especially women in entertainment, where it was like, I'm going to create the thing because I am not getting the opportunities I want. Or I'm going to create the yeah. thing because the thing currently doesn't exist and I know it'll mm-hmm. it'll work. I just got to do it myself. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think for me, I've been producing since I was 19. So potato salad isn't like the first thing that I did. So because I started producing at 19, when I came up with who made the potato salad at 29, um, that means I was bad for a good, you know, eight years. So I finally figured out like, oh, this is what the fuck you do. This is how to do it. And even then with potato salad, I'm not saying that it's perfect. There's definitely room for improvement. But who made the potato salad is a sketch comedy show slash community resource hub for black people and people of color to get us representation in entertainment. And it's a community resource hub because we do panels. We've done them in person. We switched to doing them virtually during the pandemic. And we've done mentoring workshops and they've resulted in Black women being hired at the Z-Way show, Charlamagne the God show, and at the Daily Show. We have a woman right now, Falake, who's still there and she's Emmy nominated and also has an NAACP. So providing access to Black people of all experiences, right? Like, I just want to make sure that we're including Black trans, non-binary people, people that are differently abled. I just want to make sure that those are all the people that I'm talking about when I say black people. So yeah, so um, Who Made the Potato Salad was something that I wanted to do because I was going to different comedy shows and I was like plunging myself into the comedy scene and I was like, this shit is poorly promoted. And I think because I come from theater, I was like, why isn't there any fucking people here? Like the least you can do by not paying me is giving me a sold out fucking audience and an audience that's primed and ready to fucking go. And I wanted a party. So I was like, where's the food? Where is the liquor? Where is the DJ? Where is the dancing? And who made the potato salad How has all those elements. So I'm very grateful. And I know people have come to who made the potato salad or been a part of it and went and started their own that are catered to their communities. Like there is this woman named um, Zuby and she has this show called Kuti Gang. And Kuti means like bitch in like the Indian community. And like when I walked up there and they have this like chai drink and then they had food, I was like, oh my God, like it made me feel so good that who made the potato salad could be a symbol of like, oh, okay, you know what? This gives me the idea to do this. I'm not saying that anybody is jocking what I was doing, but it made them think like, oh, okay, let me add something to that that's specific to my community. It was the right? inspiration. And yeah, and Zuzu had said that. She was like, yo, ex, when you had that food, and, you was, and I was like, yeah, why the fuck? We, yeah, we should. And I was like, this is, this is, why people start doing stuff. I mean, had it not been for Tyler Perry, I would have not started producing, right? right. Like you, it, it just, it keeps the, it's it's a domino effect. It keeps it going for black people and minorities, which is so dope. So yeah, no, I started it because I wanted what I wanted to see. I was like, these shows are not live enough. I was like, this shit is not lit. I was like, I want people to like, asses up. I want people's throwing ass <laughs> in the seats. Like this needs to be a good ass time. And I think because I'm someone who loves a challenge, the fact that the show was at midnight, I had to work my ass off to yep. promote it. Like yep. I had to convince people on a Saturday night that at midnight, this is where, the where fuck you should you be need to be. Yeah. You need to come to a show at midnight, honey. And it's been sold out since day one. And I'm very grateful. That's fucking amazing. Yeah, I, I have a background in theater and so does Kristen, our producer. And so oh, you nice. saying all of that about it's so once you're in that world, you start to understand it. But then it's it's so much of all of the tap dancing you're doing on stage. You got to do five times more off stage to get anybody to care. Oh, my God. Like It's yeah. The performance is less about you performing on stage, which, of course, you got to bring it. But it's also like mm -hmm. if you're producing the thing or if you're 
the person in charge, it is how much marketing and promotion you can do to make sure that the thing actually, that you're actually able to do the performance or actually able to do the event. That's where the actual work comes in. Yes, for sure. If you're a business owner, you know that you have a million things to think about all of the time. You've got your team that's buried with a bunch of work. It's taking forever to figure out where your invoices are coming from. And getting to one source of truth about your data is like pulling teeth. So if this is you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and 1. 37,000. That's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25. NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years of helping businesses do more with less, close their books in days, not weeks, and drive down costs. And finally, number one, because your business is one of a kind. So you get a customized solution for all your key performance indicators in one efficient system with one source of truth. Manage risk, get reliable forecasts, and improve margin. Everything you need to grow, all in one place. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ffpod. That's netsuite.com slash ffpod to get your own KPI checklist, netsuite.com slash ffpod. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. The first investment we ever made in her first 100K was signing up for a Squarespace account way back in 2016. And if they were the first place I spent my hard-earned money to start my business, you know that it was a worthwhile investment. Squarespace makes making a website really easy even if you don't know how to code, especially when you don't know how to code. You can use their blogging tools to be able to communicate effectively to your audience with stories, photos, videos. You can also use your online store to sell products like your merch or physical or digital products. You can also use their analytic tools to figure out how to grow your business, where are people coming from, how long are they staying. So you can build a marketing strategy based on some of the top keywords or most popular products and your content. Head on over to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your brand new website, go to squarespace.com slash ffpod to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So we know in your work, and you were just kind of talking about this, you make it a point to write and create content that is predominantly, if not completely written for Black people and people of color. And you've also Mm -hmm. talked about how people largely still don't understand what it means to be Afro-Latina. Do you feel like this is Mm -hmm. opening up a larger conversation about others creating more content for underrepresented communities and media? You mean with potato salad? Yeah, or just the work that you're doing in general of just you being you. Yeah, I know it is because I see the fruits of our labor. When I say our, I mean me and my team. Like, I'm nothing without them. Well, and even the inspiration of the woman you mentioned. Yeah, was Zuzu and Kutti Gang. Yeah, Um, there are people that, like, when we did the Asian Takeover, there was a sketch that two people have done, and they turned that into a short film, and they started winning film festivals. I'm also very specific to Tori with who I have in the audience because you could be the most talented bitch in the world, but who the fuck knows that, right? So making sure that industry is there in the audience and the the all-black takeover that we did in 2019 and we raised over $16,000 during a governmental shutdown when that piece of shit was in office. And when we did that, 
I made sure to have industry that was there. And from there, there were members of this, to me, the best black sketch comedy show that's out, which is Astronomy Club. And it's on Netflix. Please go watch it. It was not promoted nearly enough than it should have been. These are phenomenal black women and men, and they only got one season, but please go watch it. It's the funniest fucking sketch show. But the reason they got that show is because a lot of them were writers and actors in Who Made the Potato Salad, a rep from Kenya Barris's camp, came to the show. They got a meeting and the rest is history. Right. And also, I told you, Falake, who's hired now um, at The Daily Show and another guy, Andre, who got hired as a writer at Charlemagne the God Show. And then another girl named Bria, who went to Charlemagne the God Show, Z-Way. Now she's at the Tamron Hall Show as a producer. And these were all people that came through our mentorship program when we did a day in the life of late night in January 2021. And over 250 black and brown people submitted. We picked the top 25 and did a mock episode of late night. And they worked in every facet of late night. So yeah, it's absolutely opening up a larger conversation, but also providing access. Like, I'm sorry, fuck these panels. Black people need money. We need community. We need connection. What the fuck are you telling me that I can't get from a goddamn podcast? Who can I meet? Show me how the sausage is fucking made. That's where I'm coming from. I'm not saying that panels don't have a purpose. I'm not saying podcasts are not great. I'm on a podcast. I'm hosting a podcast. But I'm just saying when it comes to black people specifically in entertainment, we don't have shit. We don't have access. So for me, I know where I come from and I come from the bottom. That's what I'm looking for. And I know too many people that look like me that need that as well. Yeah. We call it inspiration porn over here at Her First 100K, which is the like dream your big dreams. You sit at a conference and you're told that you can do anything you want. And then it's like (sighs) you get home and you're like, yeah, but how do I actually do that? Like, you haven't told me who I should talk to. You haven't told me what I need to actually do. You've just told me that you can, I can dream big, which is important. That's great to hear, but you have to couple it with, yeah, here's the person you need to meet, or here is the actual skill you need to build in order to do what you want to do. Yeah. It's my biggest pet. It's like, it's, it's plain and simple. It's, it's really simple. Like I want to write sketch comedy. So you have like the biggest uh, brains in sketch comedy that have done all these successful shows. And I get to sit there and they get to talk about how they got their shot. Why wouldn't they let them fucking analyze a sketch that I wrote? How about we do a table read of my sketch with Seth Rogen and Key and Peel, you know, and, and Issa Rae. Like, how about, let's do that. You know, like, Yeah, I I just but that's where I'm at. And I feel like that is my purpose, one of my purposes. And I love doing it. And and that's what who made the potato salad. The next iteration of that, I feel, will be taking it a step further to bridge the gap between the creator and the black and POC top dogs in the industry, which is what I'm actively working on now and trying to solidify sponsorships because I've spent nearly all of my money on who made the potato salad. I don't make a dime from it and I don't need to. That's not my goal. But my goal is to no longer, you know, dilute my savings for that because I do make it a price point that people from my community can afford it. Because as soon as you hike that price up, who is this for? Right. Especially for black people. We don't have shit. We're poor. We need (laughs) we need things for the low low. Yeah. Let's talk about the dough. Your limited series. Yes. Let's get into it. Can you talk about what intrigued you the most about diving into money stories and then why you decided to put a comedic twist to it? Um, I think what 
made me want to dive into money stories is just because I think it's like the great equalizer. We all deal with it. I feel like you could you could be someone that's like managing a nine to five or you can make well into six, seven figures. But there is issues that I think a lot of us have with it. I think it's a universal issue. So that's why I wanted to talk about. It. And I think a comedic flair to it is because some of these situations can be really hard. And I think I'm a comedian. My gift and a curse is that I don't take anything seriously. <laughs> You know, and I should. But Tori, listen, life is fucking hard already, bitch. If you're not going to laugh, listen, you got to do it. You got to you got to laugh your way through life. So, yeah. So a comedic flair was going to be on it, you know, regardless if I wanted to do it or not, because that's just who I am. But, yeah, some of these stories are really, really hard. And some of them are layered and difficult and sad and some disturbing. And so not saying that there are there are moments when you see me, I'm very much so present. You know, I'm not like an asshole, like when people are talking about being being financially abused by their partners. I'm not like, <laughs> no, you know, I'm not an idiot. But there there are moments of joy and like levity throughout those like really difficult podcasts that will help you get through it. Yeah, one of the biggest issues with personal finance that we are really trying to dismantle here at Her First 100K and have been for years is a lot of the people who have historically been at the forefront of talking about money have been, of course, cisgendered straight white men, but specifically folks who do not acknowledge systemic oppression, Mm -hmm. who do not acknowledge that personal finance is not just about your personal choices. It's about all of the other systemic bullshit that is so much larger than us as individuals. I mean, imagine your take is similar, but talk to me about, was that something that you felt like was missing was conversations of like, Yes, let's talk about money and let's do it in a way that's accessible and funny and also caring and empathetic, but acknowledges all of the bullshit that it has a much bigger play on your everyday life than like, do you have a budget or not? Yeah. And I think that we peel back the layers of like building generational wealth. And we talk to amazing humans, one who's a friend of mine, Lauren, about taking over her father's business and him basically grooming her to take it over while he was on his deathbed. You know, and also another gentleman we talked to who works for his company, him and his uncle's company is like the biggest black yacht service company, full service company in Chicago. And then we also get into it with financial therapists, which like, oh, fuck me, didn't know that existed. And like, let's let's peel back the layers of why we have emotional attachments to money and why we do the things we do with money. So, yeah. So it was nice to like get into the nuances of money, not just like have a budget, save it. You know, we talked to women that were really abused, some that were really unprepared, you know, wives that were like not educating themselves about certain things or just like giving everything over to their husband and then leaving and not having a damn thing when they ran the whole fucking business. But when we leave, you weren't paying attention to this contract and that contract. And now he has 80 and you have 20. What the fuck? We get emails every day from women somewhere with that story or something similar. But that's my thing. If we can't talk about it, Tori, we have to talk about money. I could never be with a man and we're not having these deep conversations and let's talk about it while we love each other 
Right. Okay. While we're fucking going to Bali and Thailand and, you know, eating sushi in fucking Japan and, you know. Before shit goes down. Yeah. yeah. It's like, hey, I love you. You love me. This is great. I love you. Look, look at these whales. Wow. Look at us whale watching. Okay. So <laughs> here's the thing. You love me now. But like if you were to not fuck with me later on down the line, yep. I pissed you off. Right now you think like what? I should get half? What's what we're doing? Like, you know, like right. we need to have those conversations. And I feel like prenups are so important. People don't like to use them uh-huh. and they uh-huh. get very like, but I feel like this, if you're not ready to talk prenups, you're not ready to talk nups, meaning nups. No, no, you're not ready to, you're talk, not ready to talk about anything. No, and here, here's the thing of like, you have a prenup if you get married in any state in the United States. Just the state decides what's going to happen to your money. Good like, point, Tori. That's what I Good wish point. people realize is it's like you sign a prenup when you get married. Do you want the state's prenup or do you and your partner want to decide what that actually looks like? Correct. Like I Correct. would argue you need to figure it out. Even if it's the same, even if you're like, yeah, that's fine. You need to make that an active choice as opposed mm-hmm. to just. I am too scared to talk about it. I, yeah, my, my very hot take is like, if you don't feel like you can talk about money with your partner, you should not be together. Period. It's just like anything else. If you don't feel like you can talk about sex in your relationship, if you, you don't feel like you can have serious, hard conversations, then y- how are you going to survive a relationship with this person? Like, it's not going to work. But also assess whether or not that you don't feel comfortable or safe to talk about it or that you're just conflict avoidant. Because it might yeah, not be sure. the relationship, babe. It might just be you. You just nope, don't like to have valid. difficult conversations, period. And I don't know how you go. I mean, there is a book that I haven't read, but I feel like the title is enough and it's called Conflict is Not Abuse. I did buy it. But I was like, mm. oh, this title alone is dragging America. Like we all <laughs> were scalped by that title. And I was like, it's not. I lean into it. And I think because I have people in my life who we have lovingly conflict, like, we may not agree, yeah. but we are not disrespectful. We are not arguing, you know, like, and we always come to a middle ground. And I think because we're clear on our triggers, or even if we're not clear on all of them, Tori, we're clear that we're being triggered. So right. I'm reacting to something that is not actually happening right now. So I need to take a beat. Right. Right. So and I think because I have adults in my life, we we can talk about whatever. No, it's it's so incredibly crucial. And I think... You probably know the stat, but I'd say this all the time on the show, is that we're more likely to talk about any other uncomfortable taboo topic as individuals, but also as a collective society before we'll talk about money. And my not-so-conspiracy conspiracy theory is that we are taught that talking about money is gauche or taboo so that we are underpaid and overworked. Because if you don't talk about money, you don't know that somebody else is making more than you. And if you don't mm-hmm. talk about money, you don't, you know, you don't know that a lot of other people also feel shame about their debt. Like, yeah, it's so importantly crucial to talk about. Yet it's still this incredibly taboo thing. Well, also, it's crazy, like how women we literally could talk about the ins and out of the walls of our uterus being pulled once a month. And, uh-huh. you know, uh, um, uh-huh. the blood that gushes and, you know, and period stains. And we could talk about all of that. But when it comes down to money, it's like, oh, no, 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 no. I think sometimes, too, we might have a fear of abandonment. You know, we don't want to rock the boat. It's like, oh, yeah. if I say this, then they'll yeah. leave me. Well, then they're not for you, babe. <laughs> they're yep. not. That yep. That's not the one or the two. Right. Okay. 
Well, and we've also been taught specifically as women, again, this is this is my entire work and I'm not going to bore listeners because they've heard me say this a million times, but like well, I haven't we heard have it. been taught specifically, great, we've been taught specifically as women and I can't speak individually as a, uh, obviously as a woman of color, but I know from our research, like it is, it is this narrative of yes, don't talk about money because yes, it keeps you underpaid and overworked, but specifically like men are out here talking about money. White men are out here talking about money all the time. And yet we feel like it's not for us because we've been told it's not for us. And so then we don't talk about it. And then it becomes this cyclical thing where, oh, I can't talk about money because, yeah, somebody might abandon me or somebody might think I'm weird or somebody might go, oh, she's bragging about how much money she has. And so it's just like this really toxic thing that keeps happening where it's like, I'm so scared to talk about money. And then I don't talk about money. And then I feel bad for not talking about money. And it's just, it just continues. Yeah, I think that cycle is slowly starting to break. I mean, the women that I have around me, me are all boss bitches, top dogs. And they're just like, listen, even when we had $100 to our name, let's talk about it. You know, like, it's just, we're right. not willing to be taken advantage of. It's too many women out here becoming CEOs. Like, we're we're doing our own shit. We're making our own money. And it's like, no, we're going to have these conversations about it. And I think it's becoming even more uncomfortable for men. It's like, you have no problem talking about it as long as, like, as long as it's not me talking about it with you or as long as we're not talking about well, you know, I'm making more money, so let's figure out these bills. Or how can you supplement your money with making the load lighter here in this home? You know, you need to get cracking on them dishes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, and that's totally, there's nothing wrong with that. And I don't think you should approach a man like that. I'm just speaking, you know, yeah, um, yeah. freely speaking to you. I would never talk to anybody like that as if they're subservient or I feel like they should do that. But it's like, no, we need to figure out ways in which how can we make the load lighter for each other? And I do believe that, unfortunately, patriarchy has men and women believing that yep. men are just supposed to provide, you know? And it's like, no, I just yep. believe that you are worth more than that. I don't think that that's the only thing that you're supposed to be doing. And I do think that in some uh, situations, there is not a problem that a man is making less. He doesn't have an issue with that. And a woman doesn't have an issue with that. I think I think once we realize that all this shit is made the fuck up, we just had daylight savings time. We fucking just switched a damn clock. Time is not even real. All this shit is fucking made up. Like if it gets it, dark at four thirty, life isn't worth living. You no, know, it's, it's so stupid. I was like, is it nine o'clock? It's literally, I'm literally, it's we're recording this at two forty four. It's already starting to get dark. It's already yeah, starting. I'm like, to, no, I'm like, and my great. spirit, Lord Jesus. But yeah, I, I, I do believe that. Do whatever works for you. Like if you are a married yeah. couple and they're like, we have separate rooms or we're married and we don't live with each other. Like whatever it looks like for you, all this shit is made up. You don't have to have a wedding. You don't have to wear a white dress. You don't have to do any of this shit. You mm-hmm. don't have to do the dance with your dad. You you do have to give someone a gift though. D- don't fucking do that. <laughs> when someone gets married, give them, give them yeah. something that is financially feasible for you. And, you know, my homie, Roy Wood uh, Jr., amazing comedian and friend and mentor. He's wonderful. I love his bit. He has a bit about how everybody loves to, when they get married, like, yes, give us gifts. They love to have us come to the wedding. He's like, but when y'all get divorced, y'all don't want to talk to nobody about it. He said, and also like, who the fuck got my toaster? Now, now, shouldn't I get my toaster back? <laughs> like, because who who needs 
a four bread toaster. It's not four y'all no more. It's y'all broke up. <laughs> you know, like it's not you and your kids. It's just one, you know, which is so well, funny. Well, that's to me. a whole other conversation about what we celebrate for women too. Again, this is like, my, yeah, I get on my feminist soapbox where like, it's like, what do we celebrate statistically for women? Anything related to a partner, right? We celebrate her getting engaged. We celebrate her getting married. We celebrate her baby shower. We celebrate bridal shower. And that's it. Like, that's it. Like, if you want to throw a divorce party, great. I'm there. If you, like, you ran a marathon, we need to celebrate that. Like, that's an actual, for me, like an actual accomplishment. Like, getting married you, you no, having a man is not an accomplishment. I'm sorry. No. It's not. And I think making I sure think, that relationship is healthy. Yeah. That's hard work. That's an accomplishment. But like, yeah, I just, it's one of those things where I'm like, yes, having a baby is also an accomplishment. Like I don't, I don't want people to come for me, it, but it's also like, we don't celebrate the things that are also these huge, massive milestones. Like we celebrate mm-hmm. marriage or pregnancy. Like, yeah, it's but just I'm the complete opposite, Tori. My friends will tell you, but my friends get a job if they get chosen for yeah. a specific like NBC writers thing or something like I am. We're celebrating immediately. I'm picking oh, yeah. you up. We're going to get food immediately. One of my yep. best friends, best friends of 20 years. I'm so proud of her for being sober. I think she's on her third year now when right. she was sober last year and, and she made it, I think, to her first or second year last year, I was like, we're going to fucking London. We're going to Europe. Like we're celebrating. Yep. Like I, I was like, yep. I am somebody like, no, like if you set a new boundary, if you are no longer accepting things that don't serve you anymore, you started therapy. We got to get a cupcake. Like I just, I'm definitely, I'm definitely that friend. And I think that is the just culturally, that's what it is. Like, especially like yeah. being Mexican, like we fucking celebrate. Like we, there is a party from 1998 that's still going on right now. Like we don't <laughs> fucking stop. Like, we don't know what it is, Tori. So I definitely am somebody that believes. And I think because I've experienced yeah. so much death, like like more than the average yeah. person should ever experience, you know, losing my brother at 16 to a drunk driver. Now I've lost a total of, four additional cousins. So five people in my life, you know, grandma, grandfather, I've had so much death that I am hell bent on living and I lack patience, which doesn't always work in some ways, but I'm just like, no, I know time is limited. I'm always thinking about death and not in a gruesome way, but in a way that's like, I'm going to fucking live, you know? Totally. Financial Feminist is supported by State Farm. Insurance is a part of any solid financial plan. Making sure you have the important things in life covered is one of the best ways to give yourself a little breathing room when things go awry. When I started Her First 100K, I knew how important it was to protect not only my business, but myself as a business owner and all current and future team members. Business insurance gave me the peace of mind I needed as we continued to grow and scale. State Farm agents know what it takes to run and protect a small business because State Farm agents are small business owners and they live and work in your community. So they're deeply attuned to what's happening with other small businesses in your market. If you have a small business and are interested in making sure you're protected, reach out to your local State Farm agent to learn more about what you need. They'll help you find the right policy at the right price for your business. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Yeah, 
And I more meant it because I'm the same person. I'm like, let's celebrate. Let's figure out like any excuse yeah. to get together. Great. It's more just, I think, society's perspective on oh it. Oh my just, God. Like, the average woman is not. Yeah, no. The average yeah. woman is like, oh my God, I have. And, 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 you know, there's this lawyer that I follow and he's a divorce attorney with over 20 years of experience. And he's brilliant in my opinion. And I love his stats on it because it's just, it it's just proceed with caution. He just has a lot of stats that are very grim, but it's just like, hey, you you might fall on the other end of the scale and it might work out for you. But if not, get your prenup, protect yourself. But he was just saying how if I've been with a woman, you know, for 15, 20 years and they're like, hey, when are you going to marry her? He was like, we're happy. Like, why is it like in society? It's just like, no, you need to fucking marry her. And it's just like, well, why is that a notch against him or their relationship or their happiness? Like, are they really happy they don't want to be married? Yeah. What? Tori, this is the first time I live by myself. I've been by myself now for three years. I've started, got my first place at 33. Child, I thought I was an extrovert. Turns out I just had too many fucking roommates. Okay. (laughs) Baby. You and me both. I like theater, right? So I'm like, oh, I love people. I'm so extroverted. You will never find a more extroverted extrovert than me. And I have lived on my own since fuck 2018. Mm -hmm. I don't want to leave my house. All my friends know this. And I make it so homey. Oh, yes. Yeah. Love my house. Love it. Don't want to leave. Don't want to go anywhere. I want to curl up in a ball and moan on the floor. Like that's what I want to (laughs) do. Like the entire day. Yeah. And you make it so homey. I love my place. I'm like getting it decorated even more. And like truly my place looks like Peewee's fun house. And that's what I've always wanted it to be. I love color. I love so many decorations. It brings me joy to see all these beautiful, colorful things. I have so many knickknacks over my house. I'm not leaving. <laughs> so I, I, I'm i like, as much as I would, you know, if I was to be in a relationship, also a relationship, a relationship is not an accomplishment, babe. Okay. And listen, a relationship on its best day is work. Okay. But if, even if I was to get in one, I don't know if I'm itching to leave my shit to get your shit and smell your shit. You know, like, I don't, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, let's see, oh, yeah. you know? Oh yeah. Let's fucking see. I love my partner and we've dated, we've been together for like a year and a half and I'm starting to do the like, oh, are we maybe thinking about moving in together? And I'm thinking like, I love my own space. I love the way I've Mm -hmm. decorated. I don't, I don't need Mm -hmm. trophies in here from your, your tournament. I don't, I like, I don't need to decorate (laughs) like that. No, like I'm proud of you. That's great. But like, where am I putting that? Like, where am I putting that? No. And also... (laughs) Tori, I love my bed and I uh-huh. want to be in my bed by myself. Uh-huh. I have a extension cord to pillow ratio <laughs> that I like to have. And I have a extension. king size bed. Bitch, I could fit three of us I in there. I have a king size bed too. And I yeah, so my them. extension cord is really big. It's really long and it goes right by this specific pillow. I get to charge it up. I have a fast charger and then I turn over. We're scrolling TikTok. I have a timer. 30 minutes. I save all my links because I follow the UK black girlies and they tell me all this shit to buy. But because I'm being better about spending, I don't go and buy it, uh-huh. but I have to click on it to get the serotonin yep. and I put it in a doc yep. to come back to when I know I can financially do it. And then I go to sleep. I don't want you on my extension cord side, right? And I, <laughs> when I'm doing my TikTok divorce court Instagram combination, Okay, combination. combination. When I'm doing that, I don't want you 
disturbing that. Yeah. And I don't want to put in headphones. I want to listen to that. So when when you're hearing the UK girlies like, bruv, bruv, and then you're hearing Judge Lynn Toller, you know, being like, excuse me, why would you accept that? And then you hear an Instagram of a brioche, brie, and prosciutto being cooked. Okay. I just need you just to hush. Uh-huh. It's okay? your bed. Hush. Your extension cord. It's, it's your my bed. bed. And also, that uh, my extension cord has to come from the right. <laughs> and I sleep on the left. <laughs> I am so picky now. So it's like, listen, well, if we were to alone, live together, like, separate rooms. Yeah, you're like, oh, I have fully had this conversation with my no. partner. And he agrees. We're on the same page of like, sleep for us is really crucial. And we can sometimes yes. sleep in the same bed. And it's usually not great. And so we're like... If we do move mm-hmm. in together, it is separate rooms. And that's not because our relationship is toxic or unhealthy. It's because we're actually trying to make it better. I was just like, I want to sleep. Yeah. I want to get some sleep. That sounds great. That's what I got to do. And anyway, yeah. we're off on a tangent, mm-hmm. but I love, I need my own extension yeah. cord. I'm like, I need my own extension cord. <laughs> no, you have to have the extension cord because you have to have it in the bed and you have a big one. And I charge my Apple watch in mm. my phone mm-hmm. and then I charge it up right there and it's on the right side of me and then once we're charged we flip over to the left and then we have the uk tiktok divorce court food instagram combination i love it and we're going back and forth for 30 minutes and then we go to bed put the rain sounds on in the bed yep um (laughs) you mentioned that you're still trying to figure out what to do with your own finances and that yes the dough is like an exploration of things that you wanted to learn about what financial topics are you still working through? Not spending. <laughs> but, and, you know, the strike has helped with that because, girl, we haven't had extra. We've had it. We've been fiscally responsible. All of the trips that I wanted to take and everything that I wanted to do, you know, kind of shut down. And a shout out to my community because I was able to go to New York and stay at friends' places for free and be back in my second home and perform and see art and go to Broadway and see plays and eat great food and be with friends. And New York is just a magical fucking place. And I got to be there like right at the top of fall. So it's like hoodie season. Like we're not even in winter. It's not nasty yet. It's not. mm -mm. It was great. So yeah. So yeah, definitely not spending. But that's why I've implemented certain things. Like I have an issue with the ads. They fucking know me. And I bought quality shit, Tori. It wasn't like what I ordered versus what I've got. I've got an amazing shit from fucking Instagram. These ads know me, especially they know the home shit and the other home type people that I follow and what they buy and girl. So what I do is I, you know, need that hit of serotonin. So I might even go and I might even make a cart. And then what I'll do is, is that I'll just send it to my home decor doc and I go back to those and I buy something from there like twice a month. But I'm not buying it back to back to back immediately. Right. Once I, one time I was on Instagram and I knew I had a problem. I had to call my business manager because I spent $600 in like 15 minutes. <laughs> and you're yeah. like, I just blacked out. How did that happen? <laughs> yeah. 600 American tour. You hear me? USD, baby. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. And it was all shit that like, I didn't need, I didn't need this fucking throw pillow. I didn't need this fucking, you know, like this wallpaper. But I was like, ooh, ooh, yeah. uh." And then I stopped and I said, how much money did I just spend? (laughs) 
yeah. So yeah, definitely spending. But I've gotten better. I've implemented certain things. And praise God for my business manager, Tori, I would have been homeless during the strike. She was talking about the strike like February of this year. I was like, oh my God, Belva, you're like such a downer. Like, don't kill my vibe. Like, it's great. We're good. Swarm's about to come out. The black, we're fine. She's like, okay, the famine is coming. Mm -hmm. And she like cut my spending. Wow. And so like, I am so bad with money that someone has to manage it. Yeah, she's great. Belva, we love. And she was just listed on like Hollywood Reporter's like top business managers. She's she's the shit. Amazing. So follow her if you haven't. She <laughs> has like different short form content that she posts. Her name is Belva Anna Quincy. She's the best. Any stories in the interviews that stood out to you or that you want to share that were particularly funny or poignant or just memorable? Yes. The sweet, sweet woman, I forget her name, but she was very good at saving her money. She's first generation, daughter of immigrant Asian parents. And she had a friend who was lesbian and the friend's girlfriend was from another country. And they were like, the only way that we'll be able her, she'll be able to stay here. Mind you, she didn't want to marry the bitch. Okay. She was like, the only way she can be able to stay here is if you sign this loan so she can be in school here. And in my mind, I would have been like, why don't you marry her? Y'all so in love in this club. Do it right now. Like, marry her. So she didn't, that loan, like, she accumulated, like, so much um, interest on that loan. They weren't paying it. And they ended up breaking up. Child went and got their own other relationships. And she ended up having to pay it off. And it was like, paid off over the course of like like 10, 15 years. It took like a very long time. I think some payments were made by the lesbian couple separately, but I know she had a lot of debt that she accrued that she had to pay for. That's a long time. Yeah. What was the conclusion of all of that? Was there a learning? She just paid it off yeah. and now her credit's clear. Okay. I think she learned never to do that shit again. Yeah. You know, but she was young. <laughs> And that was her friend. And, you know, I think this was like before Obama passed, you know, the thing about same sex marriage. Yeah. And it, it was before progressive times. And even now, like, we still have a long way to mm-hmm. go, but it definitely wasn't as progressive as it was now. Totally. What are you looking forward to most about interviewing folks on the dough? Like, what are you looking forward to learning next? Um, I'm just looking forward to learning things that I haven't learned before, having conversations with amazing, uh, layered, interesting, everyday people who have learned valuable lessons about money and want to share it. So, yeah, and I think we've done that. I'm so excited. I don't know if we have a season two, but season one is out. You can catch episodes, I believe, one through five right now. Um, wherever you get your podcast. It's an amazing, wonderful show. It highlights so many women and minorities. We talk about everything from money dealing with the Bama Rush girls, mm-hmm. okay? All that fucking mm-hmm. money that they spend just to be chosen, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. There's a lot to unpack there if you are a therapist. <laughs> like, And we talk about being financially abused, building legacy, you know, as Black people in this country that wasn't built for us to have anything, really. Um, and then we talk about certain things like there's a divorce registry that's out there which people don't know about having a fresh start and um, it's not just about people who get divorced if you get separated from a long-term boyfriend or a long-term friend and you guys were living together like if you had a situation like that Tori I could go on there and like get a registry up for you and people can like buy you 
need new sheets, new towels, yep. toothbrush. There's different people that you can talk to, like mediums, therapists, you know, different uh, business managers, lawyers, you know. Um, so I've talked to so many amazing people that I think at the root of it have always depended on their community. And we say that a lot on the dough. It's what we believe and it's what I believe that community is currency. Amazing. Thank you so much for your work. So the dough, anywhere else we can find you, plug your socials, plug away. Yes, you can find me on Instagram at $80 in a suitcase. That's eight zero, the word dollars and a suitcase all spelled out. Um, and that's my testimony, obviously, from me living in New York. You can follow Who Made the Potato Salad Show all spelled out on Instagram. I am on Twitter at 80 in a suitcase, but Twitter is where demons roam. So if you repost something I've done, I will repost it. But I do not linger over there on the Twitter. No, ma'am. And it's also, dead. I know it's named after me. I have no relation to Elon. Let's just fucking get that out of there. I know Twitter is now called X. It's not. I, I don't know that man. Never heard of him. Never seen him in my life. Isn't that what she says? No. She's never seen him in my life. <laughs> Mariah Carey, who is she? I met Kiki Mariah the Carey, first time about a month or two ago. She is exactly what you think she's going to be. I don't know if you know her. Who? Yeah. Kiki Palmer? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 10 out of 10 oh, recommend. Yeah. She's yeah, the best. She's fantastic. Amazing. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for having me, Tori. And now this is the end it of the is. podcast, which I'm clear on. Thank you so much to X for joining us. You can watch her in all of the things. American Auto, please don't destroy. You can follow her at all of the links down below. And you can subscribe to the Doe podcast wherever you're listening right now. As always, thank you for your support of our show, Financial Feminist. Thank you for subscribing, rating, reviewing. Thank you for submitting your voicemails and your questions and for sharing us on social media. And if you're wondering where to get started in your financial journey, you can go to herfirst100k.com slash quiz and take our six-step money personality quiz for us to deliver a personalized plan straight to your inbox. Thank you for being here. Have a great rest of your week. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening to Financial Feminist, a Her First 100K podcast. Financial Feminist is hosted by me, Tori Dunlap, produced by Kristen Fields, associate producer Tamisha Grant, marketing and administration by Karina Patel, Sophia Cohen, Khalil Dumas, Elizabeth McCumber, Beth Bowen, Amanda LaFew, Masha Bakhmikieva, Kaylin Sprinkle, Samaya Molokurio, and Harvey Carlson. Research by Arielle Johnson, audio engineering by Alyssa Midcalf, Promotional graphics by Mary Stratton, photography by Sarah Wolf, and theme music by Jonah Cohen Sound. A huge thanks to the entire Her First 100K team and community for supporting the show. For more information about Financial Feminist, Her First 100K, our guests, and episode show notes, visit financialfeministpodcast.com. This podcast is sponsored by Squarespace. You can use Squarespace's online store, their digital downloads, their analytics, their blogging tools to be able to serve your audience in the best way possible. Head on over to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash ffpod to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain.